2 Peter chapter number 2. 2 Peter chapter number 2. And we got a few heavy verses to deal with today, but we're going we're gonna to have some fun here. I already preached it once this morning, so I kind of got it, I got my thoughts, I think, figured out. I practiced the first time, and then I preached it the second time. So I tell people, and sometimes I practice the first time and the second time, and I still don't know what I'm doing. I say, how often does that happen? It happens a lot, but I'm not going to share that with you today. Second Peter chapter number 2, and for sake of context, as we read the verses today, we're going to start in verse number 1 and read through verse number 10. It says, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should after live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Last week we looked at, we got to beware of false prophets. We talked about their methods. We've got to watch out for wrong beliefs. And then we see in verse number 4, For if God spared not the angels. So what we see is God's judgment is going to come on those false prophets. We see the end of verse 3, it says, And their damnation slumbereth not. Because if God didn't spare the angels that sin, and if God didn't spare the world from a flood, and if God didn't spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, He's not going to spare sin. But at the same time, we see two men that God delivered. God judges, and the judgment of God is a real thing. But God also delivers. And you want to be on the side of the delivering and not the side of the judging. As we look at our text today, there are many things in these verses. And in a moment, we're going to break down some of these thoughts. I'm going to leave you wandering on a few things. You're going to think, well, what about this? I'm not going to give you all the answers today. Because first off, I can never give you all the answers. I'm going to give you some answers, and then some I'm going to leave where it's at. When you preach through the Bible and through passages, 
that means you preach all the verses. That means you don't just say, I'm going to skip that verse and we'll save that for another time when no one's here to hear me preach on that verse. You preach all of it. And that's the way we do it now. And so we're going to take this this morning and I'm going to preach on the fact that God judges, but God also delivers. Father, I pray you bless the next few minutes we have this morning. We need you. And I pray that you'd help us and guide us today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. I pray that you guide us over the next few minutes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I got with it a little bit last service, and I've led singing in two services now. So we'll see if I can get with it a little bit more and save a little bit in the tank for later on today. As a kid in school, I wish I would have noticed this before, but my English teachers growing up, they didn't like my writing. They didn't like my writing because they said, you always do run-on sentences. End your sentences with a period and get, start a new sentence. Well, I want you to know this morning that from verse number 4 through verse number 10, it is one sentence. Now, I know someone came up to me after the last service, Caitlin Lopez. She's at um, Cal Baptist right now. She's like, well, it's a super complex blah, 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 blah sentence. Like, and she's like, and Peter does those often. That's not the point. She's like, if you would have used the, pro-, and she's like, if you would have used the proper punctuation, I'm sure your teacher wouldn't have said a word to you. I put a comma every five or six words. What else did they want? And I put a colon and a semicolon once in a while too. I didn't know what they meant, but I put them there. No, I'm just kidding. But it literally is one sentence. It's building here as Peter is speaking. And as we dive in today, this message is not politically correct. But I'm glad I didn't decide ever to be politically correct. I don't think I have a future in politics. I don't think that would ever happen. I would much rather be biblically correct. And so this morning, you're going to read some things. We're going to look at some things. But I want you to see it with your eyes. We're going to go through these verses. But I want you to know something. Sometimes you look in this world, it's like, why do evildoers get away with all that they do? Why do the ungodly rage? Why do these things happen? I think it was Asaph in the Psalms that said the same things. Why is it that their life looks so good? And then he got himself to the house of the Lord. And he realized the fact that their end is not going to be good. God must judge sin. It's a true fact. There is no, you say, but pastor, I love to talk about the love of God. So do I. I love the love of God. But you know how God's love was displayed to us? In judging his son for us. If God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Romans chapter 8. He didn't spare Jesus. Jesus took our sin on him on the cross that day. But if you don't come to Christ and trust him, you're going to pay your own sin. And you'll pay for it for forever because you'll never pay it off. The end of the ungodly is the same. It does not change. And the only difference for us today are those that are saved, that have Jesus. Because he paid the price for us. Number one in our outline today, we see the fact that God won't spare sin. 
God will not spare sin. He doesn't. God doesn't overlook it. How many times, you know, in our lives, we overlook things, right? Sometimes with our kids. If you ever do that again, let me help you out this morning. Don't give your kids empty threats because they realize that they're empty. One more time. That's one more time. One more time. And I remember my parents, when I was a kid, and I know days are a little different, but I remember we're in the grocery store. And I'm like six or seven years old. And my mom said, you ask me for another thing and be loud about it. We are going out to that car. Mom, I want... Next thing we know, she's holding my hand. And with the shopping carts going by the front door, I'm like, she's going to steal all these groceries. She left the groceries there, and we went out to the car. You say, what happened? You can figure that one out for yourself. I am here today, so it wasn't too bad. But I will tell you this. If my mom said she was going to do something, it was going to happen. So sometimes you keep telling your kids, you do that one more time, you do that one more time, they know you're never going to do anything. So don't say it unless you mean it. Just, just a little thought there. God gave us mercy and grace in his son. But God will judge sin. And in context here, those false prophets, those that teach false things, denying who God is, God's not going to spare them. That will be judged. Because God's judged three events we're going to look at in the book of Genesis. So we look here this morning, we see a few things. We see right away, verse number four says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. We see, first of all, that God's not going to spare sin. The first example we have is the fall of angels. Now, this is where this could get a little heavy this morning. Because I hear people say, do, do angels have free will? That's a great question, isn't it? That's a great question. Did Satan fall? Did he have a will? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And a third of the angels left heaven with Satan that day. And Jenna was in the last service, and she's like, I heard her tell her grandma, that's a lot of angels. Literally, it's a lot of angels. A third of heaven's angels fell. They left. They chose to leave. But angels don't have free will. Just, they do. So then someone asked me the question a while back. So if angels do, are any other angels going to do that when we get to heaven someday if there's no sin in heaven? That's a great question right there. You say, do you have some thoughts on that? Oh, I got plenty of thoughts on that. But they are Brian's thoughts. And there are some scripture to back up some of it. But it's one of those things, you see people all the time, I will not be the type of person that's going to write any books on any stuff. Not, not me. You know, books, some people, they can do it. But people are going to look, if I wrote a book, I remember the college I went to. Jack Hiles there, he wrote a book, Let's Study the Book of Revelation. And later on in his life, he says, the worst book he ever wrote. So, you know, when I heard that, I had to go back and read it. And I read it. And I agree with the books I've read of his. It was by far the worst book that he wrote. Well, there's a couple of, but anyways, that was the one that I was like, but it's like, shouldn't have wrote those things. 
Because I could preach them, and I don't even like this online and people taking, because you'll go back and you said this and you said that. I know, I say a lot of things. And you say a lot of things too. But the Bible does talk, away, talk about in the end that all things are made new. There's a little thought there, but I'll leave that there. I'll leave you on a little cliffhanger. You want more than that, you can come see me sometime and I'll explain my thoughts there. But it's interesting to note the fall of these angels. Look at what verse 4 says. Just read this and read what it says. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now the Bible tells us right here that there are some angels that fell from heaven that were put in prison in hell. That word for hell is even, it's talking about a deeper part of hell where they are chained up and they're down. Now think about this. There are some angels that did something so bad that God said, you're done now and I'm judging you now. Satan is not bound in hell right now, right? That's right. So these angels did something worse than Satan. I don't think I'm stretching that because they're literally chained up now. We look around us today, and I'm not going to go deep into these thoughts, but you realize there are demons in this world today. There are fallen angels in this present world. Don't get scared. If you're saved today, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You're going to be okay. The great spirit's greater than any. That's why, as a Christian, you cannot be possessed by a demon because you have the ultimate possessor in you, the Holy Spirit of God. That doesn't mean you can't be oppressed. But you can't be possessed. But that's real. But there are some angels that did something so bad, God said, you're done now. And if you read the book of Revelation, I believe that these angels that are chained up in hell today are going to be released during the tribulation time. They're being guarded by Apollyon, I believe is the name. And the Bible talks about how they are released and they go out like, and they gives all these and I believe that's those demons being released one more time. But there was something so bad that they did that literally God said, you're done now. Can you think of anything good Satan's done in all these years? But it wasn't to the point where God says, you're done now. His day is coming. But these angels did something really bad. You say, well, what did they do? I've heard many people say lots of different things. Many commentaries say a lot of different things. Like some people say it was the pride in their heart like Lucifer. Well, if that's the case, then Lucifer would be tied up with them and chained up in hell right now too. It has to be more than that. And a lot of people will go, and so I just go with what the Bible says. Is it okay to go with what the Bible says? Genesis chapter number 6. The world was an awful place. You think it's bad today? Think about what the world was like before the flood, when every thought of man was only evil continually. That's what the Bible says. You know, a Baptist preacher says, every thought, yeah, you're embellishing that. It's what the Bible says. So if God said it, I'm going to trust him that every thought was that way. So we look at verse 2 of chapter 6. That the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, growing up in church, going to the Bible college I did and things, they, would, they made the argument that the 
sons of God was in reference to Seth's line. The the daughters of men were Cain's line. It doesn't add up when you compare Scripture with Scripture. Let me just give you a couple thoughts and we'll move on because this is the stuff where I'm not going to give you all the answers to it, but I'm going to give you a few thoughts. If you go to the book of Job, you'll see at the very beginning of Job that the sons of God came and before the Lord. Angels. Satan himself came before the Lord there. So something that some angels did was so bad that they are chained in hell today. Verse number 4 of that same chapter, chapter 6 says, there were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. What I see there is the fact that, and you say, well, angels can't, Create children like we do. I, you, we also hear people say that angels don't have a free will. And I'm not going to tell you I got it all figured out. But what I see from this is that there were children through this. Was it possession? How that all, I don't know how this all worked. and I'm not going to give you all the answers here. But the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men. They had relationship together and had children. And God said, and I believe that God said that's too much. I'm done, you're done, and took them out there. And maybe that was a good warning for no other fallen angels to do something like that again. It is interesting that God literally wiped out mankind except for one family right after that to get rid of all of that. Just a thought there. And if you say, Pastor, I just don't, then that's fine. You can, we can sit down and talk sometime. I'm just, if you take Bible... And the sons of God, the only other time sons of God are mentioned is in Job referring to the angels coming before God. And so we'll leave that there. And so the gist of it is, these angels did something so bad, God said, I'm done with you now and you're chained in hell today. Hell's a real place. Do you realize that? Do you know if you were to ask our society in 2003, Barna Research, did, uh, they went out and asked a bunch of Americans about hell. Do you realize that in that day, 92% believed in heaven of people in the U.S. in 2003? 93% believed in heaven. 82% believed that there was hell. 2021, Pew Research did one, asking Americans. 72% believe that there's a heaven. And only about 59% believe there's even a hell. One-fourth of all those, so 25%, believe that if you don't turn to Jesus Christ, you can't get to heaven. The rest of the people believe one way or another, every, every religion leads to God. Our world is blind to it, and it's getting worse. Hell's a real place. There are demons chained in hell today. The rich man opened his eyes in hell. Hell is real. No matter if we like it or not, it's real. And the Bible tells us in this passage that God's not going to spare sin. Hey, these false prophets, they might think they're getting away with it. They're not getting away with it. God didn't spare the angels that fell. 
Number two, or letter B, we think about the worldwide flood. We look at the very next verse. It says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth man, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. We think about the flood. We think about what took place in that flood. This was not some flood like we have because of rain in California. And some mudslides that might, might happen. Literally, the Bible says all the earth was covered in water. Genesis chapter number 7, in verse number 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, in the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. Sometimes you think it's pouring rain. It's never rained like it did at this time. And we go down to verse number 19 through 21. It says, And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Hey, back in those days, Mount Baldy was covered. Big Bear was covered. Mount Everest was covered. So were they here back then? Did they form a little bit better after the water? I don't know. It's not my job to figure that out. Whatever mountains were here in those days, they were covered. And look at what the Bible says here. It says, 15 cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth. Both the fowl and the cattle and the beasts and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. God wiped everything. That's some judgment right there, isn't it? Hey, if God didn't spare those angels that fell, if God didn't spare man, you know, you think about, well, fowls, they can fly. How long can you fly without getting tired? They had to have somewhere to land, right? And there was no place to land, so they drowned too. Literally, whatever was on the boat is what was saved. It's a great picture of the future judgment. You and I aren't getting on a boat. And thank God, I don't like boats. I don't like planes. I don't like boats. I don't like any of those things. I don't know why I don't like any of those things. But Jesus Christ is our ark. And when you're in him, you're safe from the future judgment. It's a great picture of that right away in the Bible. But the Bible makes it clear in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5. It says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And do you notice how this is after we read verse 2 and 4 a little bit ago? The sons of God coming into the daughters of men. Do you, this all after that? God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of his thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. And it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Remember I told you that word but is one of my favorite words in the Bible? I think it's one of Noah's favorite words too. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Hey church, this morning God will not spare sin. God didn't spare those angels And they're in hell today bound. 
God didn't spare this world when he sent a flood and flooded this earth. But if you remember, after he flooded the earth, he gave a sign. He gave a rainbow. And that rainbow was a sign, a promise from God that he would not flood the earth like that again and take out man that way. But there's another two cities that we need to talk about today that judgment came to. We see the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to look later on at Lot, but when you think about this, Lot saw that they were the well-watered plains of Sodom. There is nothing left today of these cities. There's no grass. There's nothing left. Archaeologists can't find anything. The Bible says it was turned to ash. I think that's pretty clear. But look at verse number 6. So not only did God judge those angels, and not only did he judge the old world, but look at what he does to Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ash, condemn them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should after live ungodly. God destroyed the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. They rejected God. May I help you this morning? I hear many a Christian say, well, God destroyed Sodom because, because of Sodom. I've heard many a people say that. Let me help you. Sodomy is a byproduct of what happens when you remove God from a society. Romans chapter 1, the Bible's clear. You reject God and you remove God. It is a byproduct of that. They were not destroyed just because of that. Why were they destroyed? Ezekiel tells us why they were destroyed. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 16, verse 49 and 50, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Say, what was the sin? They were full of pride. You know, something that I see, you look at that phrase at the top there. She, strength, she didn't strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. I think that's what you see in America today. We don't help those people and strengthen them to get better. We make them more dependent on the government. If you look at those two, go back to the first part of verse 49 for me. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. Go to the next, go back to the next one. Neither did she strengthen the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Last service, I gave a quote that I thought was Billy Graham, and then someone came up afterwards and said, it wasn't Billy Graham, it was his wife. It was, so it was his wife that made the quote. I knew it was a Graham, okay? And so, that if God doesn't have judgment soon on America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. In all reality, if you look at verse 49 and 50 of Ezekiel, tell me you don't see America right there. 
I see it. And maybe you don't, and you need to open up your eyes a little bit better, but it's there. God destroyed it. God didn't flood it like he did the world. But Genesis chapter number 19 in verse number 24 and 25 says, And the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. Every tree, every weed, everything. Gone. God judged them for what they did. God judged those fallen angels. God judged the world with a flood. And God judged the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God's judgment is still going to come on the ungodly. You see, you cannot escape it. God will not overlook it. You can't get another. It doesn't work that way. God will punish sin. If God is just and God is who he is, then he must punish sin. But not only does God not spare sin, God also delivers the righteous, number two. He'll save the righteous. You're like, so if I'm just a good person, no, you're going to look at this more here in just a second. It's amazing what we read about in these verses right here. I love how it all makes sense here. God will save or God will deliver the righteous. When we think about the fact we see there in verse 5, it says, And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. We see letter A, that God saved Noah and his family. The rest of the world was judged. The rest of the world died. But God spared Noah. God delivered Noah and his family. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 11, verse number 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith, God said, no, I want you to build a boat. Lord, why build a boat? I don't think he lived next to water. That's just my opinion. Why do I need a boat? It's going to rain. Well, you and I think, okay, we know what rain is. It had never rained before. They didn't know what rain was. Okay, so God, it's going to rain. What does that mean? That means water is going to fall from the sky. Water's never fallen from the sky before but it's going to fall from the sky. Yeah, and it's going to fall so much, there's going to be water everywhere. You need to build a big boat because you're going to put animals in there and your family's going to be in there. But yeah, right. Sure. You know, he didn't build that vineyard till later, but maybe he thought, you know, maybe he drank a little too much of his, of his wine already. No. God said, this is what's going to happen. And he did what God told him to do. He believed God. Doesn't it talk about other people in the Bible who believe God and it was counted to them for righteousness? There's lots of things I could say there. Noah was saved when the rest of the world was destroyed. Why? Because he listened to God and got on the boat. God delivered Noah and his family. Now we look at Noah and we think, well, Noah... 
Yeah, we think about the righteous, they will be saved and delivered. Look at Noah, he was a good guy. Man, God came to him, he did what God told him to do. He preached righteousness in a day when people were not wanting righteousness. He's a good guy. Maybe his righteousness saved him. That's not the case. Because now we're going to talk about another guy. God delivered Lot and his daughters. Now, something that's interesting, okay? Look with me at our text and look at verse number 7. It says, and delivered just Lot. Now, that doesn't mean he just saved Lot and his family. The word just, he saved righteous Lot. It's calling Lot righteous. Like, well, pastor, maybe you just have a wrong interpretation of that word. Okay, let's read on. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. In two verses, the Bible calls Lot righteous three times. Say, well, what's the big deal? Let me give you a little history lesson, okay? We're going to go back to the book of Genesis for a few minutes this morning, and I'm going to explain Lot to you, okay? First of all, my personal opinion is that Lot should have never been with Abram. God didn't tell Abram to take his family with him. His dad goes, Lot goes, and he goes with him. Pers and you say, so you're blaming Abram for Lot's sin. No, Lot made his own choices. But I also would say, when we don't obey God, there can be consequences for, we, it's not just us that's affected by our decisions. Other people are affected by the decisions that we make. And I do believe that Lot was affected by Abram's decision and him coming along. God told him to leave himself. Study it in Genesis chapter number 12. And actually the end of chapter 11. So they go. And as they go, Abraham, his name's still Abram, God starts blessing him. And he gets, he has all this cattle, he has all these things. God's growing him mightily. And Lot and him are there together. And the Bible tells us the fact that it wasn't Lot and Abram that started fighting. It was their herdsmen that got into a disagreement. And they just couldn't get along. And this is the thing. There was a lot of them, and they, that's probably why God didn't want him to go along to begin with. But anyways, Abram tells Lot, it's probably best we split. I will let you choose wherever you want to go. And at the end of the day, Abram is the one who had more men. He had, more, he had everything. And he's letting him choose, Lot choose where he wants to go. And the Bible says that Lot saw the well-watered plains of Sodom, and he went that way. We will talk more about that later on today, okay, in a few minutes. Yeah. So, Lot goes his way. And so later on, Abram gets word that Lot had been taken captive in a battle. He goes and rescues him. He goes back and things. And there's a day that God comes before Abram. And he says, I got to tell you something. I'm about ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Their wickedness has cried out to me and I'm going to destroy them. Lot lived in Sodom. And Abram said, Lord, if there's 50 righteous people... Will you spare the city? God said, sure, I'll spare the city for 50 righteous. Well, there must not have been 50 
because Abram says, Lord, you're so merciful and gracious. How about 40? It goes all the way down to 10. In the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, there were not even 10 righteous people. We know there was at least one because God calls Lot righteous, right? There was at least one. But evil communication does corrupt good manners. Just remember that. But anyways, so God's going to destroy the city. But God in his mercy and grace sends two angels in the form of men to the city of Sodom to tell Lot and his family to get them out. When they get into the city of Sodom there, we see the fact that these two male angels are at Lot's door. And Lot, see, well, Lot sees them from the gate. We'll talk about the gate first. He sees them from the gate. He runs out to them. And I think he didn't want them to go into the city, my personal thoughts. But they're like, no, we're going to come lodge with you tonight. As they go with Lot, they get to Lot's house and things. And the Bible says that the men of the city wanted to have a sexual relation with those two male angels. Hence, sodomy, where the name comes from. They wanted that, and Lot says, no, 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 hey guys, no, you can't do this. This is what I'll do. I will give you my two virgin daughters and do whatever you want to to them. But don't touch these men. Think for a minute. This righteous man mentioned three times as a righteous man says you can have my clean virgin daughters and do whatever you want to with them. But don't touch these men. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've got one daughter. And if anybody tries to get their hands on her, they're dead. I don't care. I don't care if it's with a gun or if it's with my bare hands. They're dead. You don't touch my daughter. I will kill you. And I don't care if there are two angels that come. Have the angels for all I care. You're not messing with my kids. Lot was so messed up and so out of whack that he was willing to give his own daughters. And yet the Bible calls him a righteous man. You and I would look and... Genesis 19, it's one of the most disgusting chapters of the Bible because of these things. Say, this is what I know you're thinking. Lot is not a righteous man. You and I can say that all we want, but we're not the one who wrote the book. God did. And you might look at people and say, well, they're not, they're not worthy of salvation. They're not worthy of being called righteous. Let's just be honest this morning. There is no one in this room that is worthy of being called righteous today. None of us. Say, but I wouldn't do that. Well, do you know the Bible only calls Noah righteous one time in this passage, and it calls Lot righteous three times? Say, well, why does it do it three times? I think because God's like, yeah, you read that right. I called him righteous, I called him righteous, and I called him righteous. Because like after the first year, we're like, oh, God just made it. That's not true. God didn't mean that. And then the second time, oh, maybe. And by the third time, no, he was righteous. 
You say, how was Lot righteous? Are you ready for how salvation works? I am not declared righteous before God by what I do. Say, but that's not, that's, but that's not up to you. You're not, the, you're not the judge. When God looks at Lot, he saw a righteous man. Say, how? The imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we look at people that call themselves Christians and they say they're saved, and if someone's saved or not, it's not your job to figure that out. You're not a fruit inspector. Quit trying to be a fruit inspector. Leave that up to God. You don't know someone's heart. So if someone says they're saved, whatever the case may be, and you're like, that life doesn't match it. Did Lot's life match it? No. But when God looks at you and I, do you know what our righteousness is in God's eyes? this filthy rags. It's disgusting because it's so bad. Our best. When he looks at me, he doesn't see me in my own righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ on me that was imputed to me when I got saved. That's the only explanation there can be in this passage right here because there's nothing righteous about this guy. But church, as we look at this man, this righteous man that was willing to give his daughters away, that didn't happen overnight. Hey, do you know that with David, he didn't one day wake up and say, I'm going to commit adultery and have a man killed. It doesn't work that way. There's a progression that takes place with sin. I want to give you Lot's progression. Maybe there's something in your life that this will apply to and you need to get a hold of this. But what was Lot's progression? First of all, number one, he saw Sodom. He looked. He saw it. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter number 13, verse number 10, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, and that was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. So this area where Sodom and Gomorrah, it was, as, it was well watered. It didn't look much different than the garden of Eden did. That's what the Bible says right here. And you look at that area today. Doesn't look like that today. Not at all. He saw it. Now, let's be honest. We see a lot of things in this world. And a lot of times you can't help but see. It happens. I'll give you an example. I remember a few years ago I had someone in my office talking about hey, they, need, they wanted to get some help with some pornography, some porn issues that they had. And they said the first time they saw it, it was by accident at 12 years old. Some things you just, you can't, it, and in our world today, things are more out there. And so Lot saw. That's where it began. He saw that it was good. But not only, number one, did he see it, but number two, he walked towards Sodom. The very next verse there in Genesis 13, verse number 11, it says, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. 
So Lot saw the progression. He saw, and he started walking east. He walked. Number three, he lived near the city, near Sodom. He didn't start out living in Sodom. The Bible tells us, I believe it's verse 12, yeah, it's verse 12 of that same chapter, and Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plains and pitched his tent, look at what it says, not in Sodom, towards Sodom. So was Lot in the city of Sodom? He was not. He pitched his tent towards it. The progression. He saw, he started walking, he lived near it, and then, number four, he sat in the gate of Sodom. Literally, most people think that means he was on the city council. Literally. If you're going to be on the city council in Sodom, he must have lived in Sodom. Chapter 19, verse number 1, it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. Say, how did Lot get to the point where he's willing to offer his daughters to the men of the city to do whatever they wanted? It started out by looking. It continued as he walked down that road. He lived near it until eventually he lived in it. A married couple. I'll give you an example here. A married couple struggles in their marriage. And either one of them sees someone that looks like they are going to meet their needs better than their spouse does. They see that. Or that person's prettier, that person's handsome, whatever the case may be. And then they walk that way. And then, I'm not doing anything wrong. There's a little flirting that's happening. But nothing more than flirting. I'm just living near the city. Which leads you to living in Sodom and committing adultery. You see the progression there? I wonder this morning if in your life you've seen something and you've started walking the wrong way. You know those GPSs that we got on our phones? You've gone too far. Turn around. Turn around. Turn around. I'm on a freeway. How do you expect me to turn around on a freeway just like that? I can't just make, can't just flip around. But that's what it says. And you see something. And you start walking that way and the Spirit of God says, hey, Turn around. Make a U-turn. Don't go down that road. But you ignore it because I'm not doing anything wrong. It's not wrong to have lunch with so-and-so. It's not wrong to be right here. It's not wrong not to go to battle when all the other kings go to battle. It's okay to look out the window of my palace. He probably knew that that was the time of day when people would be taking baths. I'm not going to, he's the king. Probably should st- he probably shouldn't have been up there looking. I hear a lot of people say, well, it was Bathsheba's fault. She, should have, she was taking a bath. I don't blame her on that one, okay? There are a lot of people, oh, it's her, f- how is it her fault? The king calls her to his house. I blame David 100% of the way. And most of the time it's the men that blame the woman on it. It's amazing how that works. But anyways, We'll leave that one there and not go deeper on that thought. You just didn't go to battle. I'm not sinning. I'm just close. Don't 
play with sin. Oh, it's not, I'm not hurting anyone. It's not, I'm not going to do anything. How many people have said that? And ruined their family and ruined their lives because they messed with sin too much. You might see it, but that doesn't mean you got to go down that road. You might start walking down that path, but you can turn around. Or you can go down that way. Lot lost his wife. She turned into a pillar of salt. And his two clean daughters got him drunk in a cave and both had children from their own dad. And those children have been a pain in the sight of Israel for a very long time. And you wonder why? Maybe Abram shouldn't have had them go along to begin with. Just a thought. But literally, Lot, you know, God told, and we could go, there's so much I could say right here. Because God literally told Lot and the angels, just get out of there. And remember, he said, I have nowhere to go. Let me stay in this little city. Don't push me all the way out of there. Where do you think they got the wine that they got drunk off of? In the cave? Probably came from the city that they weren't supposed to go into. And then look at, the, look at the lives that were messed up. But I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, Lot was still a righteous man. And so was Noah. And you're like, well, well Noah was so much better. He did so much good. Yeah, but then Noah, after the flood and everything, he had a vineyard. And he got a little too drunk. And he was naked in his tent. And one of his sons went in there, saw it, whatever happened, the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't matter how good you think you are, or I'm not like so-and-so. Sin messes with all of us. I was meeting with, um, in the past couple weeks, I met with, I've met with a few couples, but I met with a couple needing some help with their marriage. And as we're going through, they're both talking about how basically perfect they are, and they don't do anything wrong. And I just stopped it in the middle there, and I'm like, I want to tell you something. Are you ready? We're all screwed up. Each and every one of us. You think about this. And imperf- two imperfect people are trying to have a good marriage. Two imperfect people are trying to rear imperfect kids, and we're trying to make all this stuff work. We're all a mess. But God gives grace. And God gives mercy. And those who call out to God and those who trust Christ as their Savior, he delivers you from the coming judgment. But without Jesus Christ, you will suffer judgment. If I were to put an application to the message this morning, there's two things. The first one is this. Share the gospel because hell's real. I don't care if 59% of America think it's real or not. The Bible says it's real. Do you know Jesus preached three times more about hell than what he did about heaven? He did. So why would he do that? Because he didn't want people to go there. That's why he was willing to die. Share the gospel because hell's real. And then lastly, I want you just to ask yourself this question. Ask it to yourself. Don't say it out loud. Are you living for yourself or living for Jesus? Lot was all about himself. He saw that. He saw that. He wanted it, and he ended up there. 
and he ended up miserable. You know how we were going through earlier, chapter number one, and how it says when you lack these things in your life, you're blind, you can't see afar off, and you forget the fact you're even saved? Don't you think that could describe Lot? He got so much into it, he was blind to it. He didn't see it. What else would describe a man that would be willing? You can't tell me. We're all imperfect. But your children, you love your kids. And you do just about anything for your kids. I don't see any of you tell it, having strangers come to your door and say, here, you can have my kid. You can do whatever you want to to my daughter. He literally, the Bible says there, it vexed, it frustrated his righteous soul. And he got messed up because of it. Noah built a boat and was a preacher of righteousness in those days. Was Noah perfect? No. Did he have issues? Yes, he did. We all do. But how's your life? Are you living more like a Noah? Or living more like a Lot? And at the end of the day, when you're righteous before God, thank God that that's the way it is. And if you get out of here and you escape the judgment through Jesus Christ, that's wonderful. But I think God had more for Lot's life. Jesus didn't come just so you could have life. He came so you could have it more abundantly. And I think Lot was pretty miserable the rest of his days. How would you like to hold your grandchild and know that you were the one that gave seed for that? How would you like to, every time you see your daughter's face, remember the fact that you told those men they could do whatever they wanted to with your daughter? And out of all the things God could have said about Lot, and there's quite a few things I brought up this morning. God says, I spared, I saved that righteous man. That's because when you and I look at people that are saved, we look at all the sin. But God chooses to forget the sin. What are you talking about? What did Lot do? Oh God, you know what Lot did. He's a righteous man that was frustrated and his righteous soul was vexed day after day. And, his, and he was messed up even though he was a righteous man. That's what the Bible says. And this is God who we read the Bible we see bits and pieces of Lot's life he knew the whole story he knew every second and he calls him a righteous man I am so thankful for the grace and the mercy of God and for the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ that declares me righteous before God and you should be too Father we thank you